This is VOCM News Talk. Call 709-273-5211 or 1-888-590-8626. The views and opinions of this program are not necessarily those of this station. Here's VOCM News Talk host Linda Swain. Well, it's Tuesday. You know what that means. Good afternoon, everyone. Richard Duggan in with you this afternoon. Uh, Linda covered for Patty on Open Line this morning, so I'm in for Linda today. And uh, a, a nice day out there in Metro right now, especially in comparison to yesterday. My goodness, the uh, the, the, the roads were just absolutely dreadful uh, when I was leaving the drive home yesterday because of that weather system that really surprised pretty much everybody, uh, even including the uh, s- some of the forecasters. Uh, VOCM's Linda Swain, to start off the program, spoke a little while ago with meteorologist Ian Hubbard about that system and uh, the surprise that came with us. Well, Ian, I like a lot a lot of people today are wondering what happened yesterday. Yeah, we had a little bit of snow uh, fall over certainly the most eastern parts of the Avalon and uh, a little more than was previously expected. Uh, we had a little low offshore that was forecast to move north and snow was supposed to stay offshore, but it was looking like probably a few flurries might uh, creep right along the coast. And as the morning went on, uh, those bands of flurries and, and periods of snow uh, pushed a little bit further west than expected. And that's when we started to see some accumulations and uh, saw those amounts by uh, later in the evening, certainly over the city and uh, eastern parts of the Avalon. So what did the northeast Avalon get in the end? Uh, saw a range of amounts there, uh, anywhere from 10 up to 14 centimeters. And a lot of that looked to be very fluffy, so very light and a little bit uh, deeper than would be expected with some of that more wet snow that we sometimes get. Now, that's uh, the past. What's ahead? I understand we're in for a bit of a thaw. Yeah, we're looking at some uh, warmer temperatures uh, coming with some warm air that's going to be coming just ahead of a a broad low pressure system expected to uh, track over Quebec and just uh, west of Labrador. And that's going to put the island and all of Labrador into some positive temperatures over the next couple of days, uh, bringing with it a little bit of showers and some rain as well. And not just the island, I understand Labrador is in for a bit of a thaw too. They've got the, uh, the big Cane's Quest coming up. Yeah, we are seeing that warm air push right across the province and uh, definitely going to cause some issues there with some snow melt and as well as those showers to uh, not make conditions very well for that. And so how long are we expected this uh, warmer uh, airflow to last? Yeah, the cold front from this low is going to be pushing through during uh, the day on Thursday for Labrador and then reach the island overnight. So by Friday morning, we'll be back into those uh, more seasonable and and cooler temperatures below freezing uh, for everyone. And then with that, we'll start to see uh, probably some onshore flurry activity as well for parts of the island. So the thaw is going to be short-lived? It will be, yes. Ian Hubbard, I do appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. And there you have it. That's meteorologist Ian Hubbard speaking with VOCM's Linda Swain about the unexpected weather that we got yesterday and a little bit of a short-lived thaw that's uh, coming up over the next couple of days as well. Uh, Well, earlier today, I was out at Confederation Building. Uh, Members of the Registered Nurses Union gathered there today uh, asking for government to put a stop to what they believe is the privatization of the health care system and for the Auditor General to come in and investigate money being spent on private companies. That 
outcomes following the Globe and Mail uh, report from a couple of weeks ago indicating that government spent in excess of $35 million on a private company for the provision of travel nurses over the course of a five-month period. Uh, here's some comments from the rally from RNU President Yvette Coffey, Coffee, pardon me, and NAEP President Jerry Earle. We are putting our foot down and sending this message loud and clear to government that profit doesn't care. In less than five months, $36 million spent on private agency nurses. Contracted to do our work. Just this week, Minister said that, and we can all agree, that at the end of the day, at the beginning, this was a necessary evil with seven, over 700 nursing vacancies in Newfoundland and Labrador. But this has exploded. We, I find that it's misleading to say that we're doing this to keep ERs open. We just signed a $22 million contract with Teladoc to keep the ERs open with virtual ERs, with doctors, with physicians, family physicians, nurse practitioners, and events care paramedics as what's needed to keep ERs open in order to do airway management. So, yes, we have nursing vacancies in emergency rooms throughout the province, but more often than not, it's because of the lack of physicians and the lack of nurse practitioners or advanced care paramedics are the reasons for our emergency departments being put on diversion. Government could have and should have and needs to invest in the people in this province, not a private agency company, not in this province. We need to focus on retention as well as recruitment. And yes, the government has done a lot of work on recruitment. We have a new office for health human resource, uh, health human resource planning. However, we cannot just focus on one part. Recruitment is no good if we don't retain the people that are presently working in the system. Our physicians, our social workers, our psychologists, our respiratory therapists, radiation therapists, nurse practitioners, licensed practical nurses, PCAs, RNs, the list goes on and on. If we don't treat people here with respect and invest in them, we will lose them. We actually are losing them. We actually have registered nurses here who have left the system, who are offering to come back and do casual shifts. Instead of hiring that person back, they got an agency nurse there, a private agency nurse taking those shifts. When we were offered, when our nurses offered to do overtime, they were getting paid a double time premium last summer to fill gaps in schedules. That got stopped. That was still a cheaper option to fill gaps in schedules than a private agency nurse getting $312 an hour, the company getting $312 an hour. Our travel locum that we have in Labrador, our pilot project, is under evaluation. So it's actually unionized travel team, travel nurses from Newfoundland and Labrador from our unions. $25 extra an hour, not $312 an hour a lot cheaper to utilize the public service. And we have members willing to step up and go staff those places in Labrador, such as Happy Valley Goose Bay Emergency Department or the Obstetrical Department. We have the people here, and we have to retain the people here. 
And the most cost-efficient way to do that is to utilize the public service, not private companies that don't even live here. Then we have our new collective agreement, where we, we touted it as a retention collective agreement, one for enticing people to stay in or take a permanent full-time position. Yet today, I have registered nurses and nurse practitioners not getting that incentive paid under two-week paycheck because they had a paid sick leave day in there. They're still permanent full-time. So how can you nickel and dime people of Newfoundland and Labrador while paying for a dog or a cat to be transported on Air Canada? There's something wrong with that. Our call here, our call to action today, and I know the Minister has announced already the Comptroller will be uh, touted to do an uh, investigation. We are asking for the Auditor General. We will continue to ask for the Auditor General to look, in, look into how a company was single-sourced without going through uh, the RFP process and that. How a company got paid for meals, $1.6 million, that they said they were going to pay to the nurses that they were employing. And then our RHAs turned around and gave them $100 per diem on top of that for every shift they worked, and they never got a meal. How did that happen? How did it happen that we're paying for rental cars, taxis, we're paying for accommodations, we're paying for air fryers, we're paying for furniture, yet a registered nurse in Newfoundland and Labrador does a 24-hour shift, they're not even offered a taxi home or a and there you have it. That was Yvette Coffey from the rally earlier today uh, speaking about some of the concerns that the Registered Nurses Union has uh, with what they're calling the privatization of the health care system as well as uh, in relation to that money that is being uh, uh, doled out by the uh, by the provincial government for things such as travel nurses. Well, before um, that rally got underway, Health Minister Tom Osborne made himself available to media uh, to discuss some of the concerns. We'll have that for you coming up on the other side of the break. Stay informed and have your say on the news of the day with your VOCM. Join Linda Swain weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 p.m. for an hour of talk and discussion with decision makers and listeners like you. News talk on your VOCM. VOCM. And welcome back to the program. Richard Duggan in with you this afternoon. And we're going to continue our coverage now of uh, that rally that was held at Confederation Building earlier today, the Registered Nurses Union. Uh, before that rally began, uh, Health Minister Tom Osborne made himself available to the media to discuss some of the concerns that the union is bringing up. Uh, I was there, and uh, here is some of what Minister Osborne had to say. A couple of days ago, or last week, I had asked my deputy to write to the Provincial Health Authority asking for clarification on the concerns that were raised uh, in the Global Mail article. Um, yesterday, I wrote the Comptroller General um, asking for uh, a review of the contracts signed with Agency Nursing to ensure that the, there's controls and protocols and measures in place to ensure that funding is spent appropriately. There are really two issues here. One issue is the cost of agency nursing. Uh, I am clearly on the record as saying for several months, uh, going back to last year, that I would like to see an end 
to agency nursing to pre-pandemic levels. The, the cost of agency nursing is unacceptable. Uh, in fact, it's appalling that uh, in five months we are spending $35 million on agency nursing. That money could be better spent in other areas of health care. So that's one issue. We, are, we all agree and we all know, and I am clearly on record as saying we want an end to agency nursing. If the contracts were followed, then the issue is the cost of agency nursing. If the contracts were not followed to the letter, then there are concerns. And that's what we've asked the Comptroller General to look at, is the concerns that were raised by the Global Mail article to ensure that there were controls, uh, that there were uh, procedures and, and measures and policies in place to protect public funding and to protect the integrity of any contracts that were signed. So the Comptroller General uh, will carry out the, the review. Uh, if there are concerns, we will take further measures from there based on, on what the findings may be. Uh, but you know, we will certainly um, look to uh, the review by the Comptroller General to determine next steps. Why not the observation? Um, so the Comptroller General is independent but works within the government system. Um, we can um, send a letter to the Comptroller General and say, uh, please carry out this review. Uh, the Auditor General is independent and arm's length. Um, this process works. Uh, the, the Comptroller General does have uh, the ability and the resources and the process at their uh, hands to be able to carry out this review. Uh, just to provide an example, when I was Minister of Finance, uh, there were concerns raised about the Newfoundland and, uh, Liquor Corporation, or Newfoundland and Labrador Liquor Corporation. So the concerns that were raised, I followed the same process then and had asked the Comptroller General to do a review the Comptroller General determined that there were areas of concern. Uh, there were areas where there was significant concern, and that was then forwarded to um, legal officials, uh, uh, law enforcement. It was also forwarded to the Auditor General. The Auditor General subsequently did a full review more in-depth and pre presented a report on the Newfoundland and Labrador Liquor Corporation. So that's the same process uh, I've asked the Comptroller General essentially to follow here is to do the review to determine if there are concerns. And if there are, I would certainly make those concerns made public um, in full disclosure, uh, but also we will take the appropriate action uh, based on the findings. Um, we can get that from the Comptroller General for you. Generally speaking, uh, the Comptroller General works uh, efficiently, and you know I don't expect any undue delays uh, in this review. Um, we know that there is a rally um, going to be taking place outside the Confederation Building just um, at, at noon today. Is there anything you, you know message you'd like to send to those nurses who will be expressing? I am clearly on record as saying I want to see an end of agency nursing. Uh, I've said that and repeated it many times over many months. 
I have been very vocal with my federal and provincial uh, ministerial counterparts in saying that we all need to work together to see an end of agency nursing. Right now, it's a necessary evil. As much as I'd like to say today we are going to stop agency nursing, that would mean shutting down hospitals. And which hospitals do we shut? We can't shut hospitals. So we are focused on recruitment and retention. What have we done in terms of retention? We signed a very solid deal with the Registered Nurses Union to ensure that nurses are compensated uh, comparably to other Canadian jurisdictions. And I've, my communications director will give you each a list outlining the bullets of the benefits of that agreement. But just to outline some of them, there were wage increases of 2% in each of four years, an employee recognition bonus of $2,000, long service pay premium, so after 15 years of working uh, with the Provincial Health Authority as a permanent uh, registered nurse. It's a 1% premium. 20 years would be the 15% premium plus an additional 2%. Uh, 25 years would be the include the 20-year premium plus an additional 2%. Uh, there were step changes where we uh, eliminated the bottom two steps and added two uh, steps to the top of the pay scale, further increasing wages. There's several other improvements here. This deal was worth an additional $110 million over and above previous uh, compensation and benefits packages for our nurses because we value our permanent nurses. We value the nurses that are working in our province. This is a retention tool. So we are focused on retention. We are also focused on recruitment because we need to recruit nurses to displace the agency nurses. It's not as simple as saying end agency nursing today. We can't. I want to, and we are focused through recruitment and retention on ending agency nursing. Many of the concerns that the Registered Nurses Union have raised regarding agency nursing, I echo those concerns. I will celebrate the loudest when we can bring agency nursing levels back to pre-pandemic levels. The vote now has raised questions about the contracts uh, for the travel nurses and agency nurses. Shouldn't those have been questions the government was asking? Is there a failure of oversight? So the contracts are... Uh, this is operational, and government doesn't sign these contracts. The contracts are signed by the Provincial Health Authority uh, between the health authority and the agencies. The health authority has given me the assurance that the contracts have been followed to the letter of the contract. So what I've done is asked the Comptroller General to go in and review uh, the policies that are in place to review the controls that are in place to review... Uh, the procedures that are followed to review whether or not these contracts have been followed to the letter of the contract and to review how the contracts uh, were signed. So we want uh, to ensure that the uh, procedures and policies and, and processes have been followed and adhered to. Uh, the health authority has assured me that they have. The Comptroller General will verify whether 
in fact they have or have not been, or whether there are improvements that can be brought about to this process. So that, that's uh, you know, one side of this equation. The other side is the atrocious amount of public money that is going to agency nursing. And it is a necessary evil. And as I've said, if we were to say it stops today, what hospital closes? What services cease to exist? So we, we absolutely need them until we can recruit enough to displace them. But again, I've called it necessary evil, and I am absolutely determined to find, uh, you know, to, to recruit enough nurses to displace the nurses that uh, are now agency nurses. And there you have it. That was Health Minister Tom Osborne uh, before that rally at Confederation Building earlier today. Uh, we're just about up on news time now with Sarah Strickland. Uh, when we come back, we're going to hear um, from Lisa Slaney uh, about some serious questions being asked about a recent invitation from the province seeking public input on roads uh, that are in need of work. We'll have that story for you coming up on the other side of the news. Saturday morning, join us for the Irish Newfoundland Show. Send your request to Irish NL at VOCM.com or submit them online at VOCM.com. And good afternoon. Welcome back to the show. Richard Duggan in the studio with you this afternoon. Linda was on open line this morning, uh, so giving her a little bit of a break. Uh, well, some serious questions are being asked about a recent invitation from the provincial government seeking public input on roads across the province in need of work. The department invited people to send comments on and pictures of the condition of roads in their area. The deadline for submissions was Monday. Former Marystown Town Councilor and Executive Director of Grace Sparks House, Lisa Slaney raised concerns about the process involved on VOCM Open Line with Linda Swain this morning. Linda, um, I just wanted to speak a little bit about um, something that's a little bit different for me, I suppose, regarding not not, uh, not my uh, work-related uh, topics, but uh, something as a, uh, I guess, a resident of the province. Uh, we recently moved to uh, Spanish Room from Marystown. So Spanish Room is my husband's uh, hometown. So we moved there in September. And in September, I uh, took pictures of the deplorable road conditions um, that were in Spanish Room. I think I took about, I don't know, maybe 30, 40 pictures, and I had sent them to Minister Abbott. And, you know, and I'm sure there's other stories all around the province in terms of, you know, how bad the roads and things are. But, like, there's there's literally more potholes than there is pavements in this community and, you know, a lot of elderly uh, people living there. And, I, you know, and I just thought it was horrible that, uh, you know, and, and – the conditions that were there that people, you know, were dealing with and that hadn't been paved or any really road work done, like, in 31 years. So, anyway, so um, I sent uh, an email and these pictures to uh, Minister Abbott. Um, I received no reply. I uh, emailed again asking for an update, no reply. So, February the 13th, the Department of Transportation and Infrastructure uh, put out a call to the public on highway improvement projects to be considered for 2024-2025. So, um, it, was, uh, it was a little bit puzzling first, but I thought, well, it's like everything. If you don't buy a ticket, you can't win. 
because it really felt as though it was a contest and that the government was somehow, you know, playing communities off of each other to, you know, devise for pavement for the coming year or road work for the coming year and, and future years. So I guess my question is, where are the provincial engineers, you know, that would um, make recommendations to the department with regards to, you know, road infrastructure in the province. You know, when, when the government comes out, and I appreciate the fact, you know, that that government is asking individuals for input, uh, but at the same time, it, it feels as though there's a contest happening here now, uh, you know, within Newfoundland and Labrador. So if you didn't put in, you know, a letter and send pictures, uh, you know, are you included? Um, how is this going to be evaluated? Like, is it because you're the biggest municipality? Because, you know, Spanish Room and, and Rock Harbor, we, uh, we kind of came together and as LSDs, you know, we made a submission yesterday of uh, 77 uh, letters of residents from both communities and probably more that I'm not aware of um, and, you know, and pictures. So, you know, my question to the department and especially to the minister is, you know, how is this going to be evaluated? You know, who wins the coloring contest? Because you're not, you know, if, if, if your own employees, your own engineers, you know, the people who do the maintenance on these roads are supposed to do the maintenance on these roads are not recommending to you what needs to be done and you are coming in asking the public uh, for input in what gets considered, well, then you need to start being a little bit more transparent with us of how this is going to be evaluated. You know, is it the best letter? Is it, um, you know, the the, the number of potholes? Uh, is it, you know, where you live? Is it if your MHA sits uh, on the government side? You know, how, how is this evaluated? Is because it the number of complaints you receive? Uh, you yeah. know, like you say, it, it comes down to a, a, a popularity contest almost. Yeah, yeah. And, and you are, you are, you know, you're vetting people against each other, communities against each other, because, you know, everybody's in need, I suppose, in, in some regard. Uh, but, you know, how are you evaluating this and, and where are your employees that are not there? I mean, I sat on municipal government for uh, for uh, four years, and I know from experience that, you know, you have X number of dollars to work with. You have engineers that are telling you, you know, what's what has to be done, what's, you know, what, what sections of road are, are worse and things like that. So... I'm, I'm really, uh, I don't know, I'm really torn, you know, because I appreciate the fact that you're saying, you know, tell us, but shouldn't they already know this? Lisa, you're raising some excellent points here, and I'd like to hear, you know, some of the um, thoughts that went into that and, uh, you know, what they intend to do with the information received. And what if, for instance, uh, you have an LSD, for instance, that where there is a need, uh, but for whatever reason, uh, people may not feel compelled to write in or... Exactly, right? I, I followed, yesterday going home from work, I followed um, a family member of ours, and he has a, a wife who's, who's ill, and like every bump in the road is uh, life-threatening to her because... The, the type of illness she has, she can't be operated on. And, it, it, you know, it's extreme pain for her to drive over this road. And, and God love her husband. I mean, he, he was driving probably 10 kilometers, 
and if you were behind him, you would think he was drunk. It was just, you know, the way that, that you would have to maneuver to actually try to provide a little bit of comfort to his wife going down, you know, that road. My, I mean, my heart broke for them yesterday to see, to see, you know, how he had to drive to get her home without being, you know, in, in too much pain. So, you know, and, and I'm sure there's stories all over the province. Um, you know, I'm, I'm positive there are. But, again... How are you evaluating this and, and, you know, this contest? It's what it feels like, you know, who, 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 who tells the best story, who wrote the best letter, who sent the best pictures? What is it? You know, tell us. And there you have it. That's former Marystown Town Councillor and Executive Director of Grace Sparks House, Lisa Slaney, uh, raising some serious concerns about uh, the provincial government's recent initiative, uh, inviting input from the public on uh, roads across the province that are in need of repair. And they were uh, inviting people to send in pictures of said roads and uh, raising some some interesting points there about, uh, about that whole situation. So uh, it'll be interesting to see now uh, how all of that plays out uh, as we move forward. Uh, before we go uh, off to the next break, uh, I do want to mention that uh, Claudette Barnes is producing the program today, and uh, Claudette, I haven't even spoken to you yet. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Hi, how are you? <laughs> I am doing great, Claudette, and uh, you're back. You had a, a decent day off yesterday, even though it was marred by this uh, surprise snow that we got. I actually, you know, breathed uh, a sigh of relief when... You know, with all the snow coming down and finding out that even it was a surprise in the news to forecasters because I was beating myself up. I was just thinking, okay, so I got a day off. I'm not paying attention to anything that's going around me in terms of current affairs. I'm like, how did I miss this that we were getting a snowstorm? But it turned out even meteorologists missed it. Yeah. And actually, you know, yesterday, like when the snow was really starting to come down, I was thinking, like, did I miss something here? And like, I went back to like the old forecast. Cast. I was like, we must have missed this, but no. And I guess it just goes to show weather's unpredictable. And you know, okay, so sidetrack a little. Yeah. We had a delivery from one of the, you know, one of the couriers, and we have a roof over our patio. Mm. They didn't put our delivery under the roof. <laughs> And it was a bit on the heavy side, and I was the only one home. So because they didn't put it under their roof, they put it where all the snow was gathering. Every so often, I'd have to shovel off my package. <laughs> <laughs> I know. That, that's a new one. People are out shoveling off their decks and <laughs> shoveling, shoveling their driveway. off my Amazon package. No. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> See what what you got to do is you got to get like a maybe like a tarp or something or you I know. I thought of that. I said I asked my husband. I said, "Do you want me to like, you know, scissor just kind of like cut open a garbage bag and place it over and make make a tarp?" I mean, I felt really you know impressed with myself <laughs> with that. Oh no, because I don't think he wanted to ruin the garbage bags because they're expensive. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> so I just went out every now and then, shoveled off my package. <laughs> And back in. <laughs> oh my God, that's wicked. <laughs> All right, uh, we're going to go to a break now here on News Talk. And when we come back, we're going to hear from the MHA for Cornerbrook. That's Jerry Byrne. That's coming up here on VOCM. 
Every Saturday is perfect for a night at the cabin. The Cabin Party with Brian O'Connell. Saturday night starting at 7 p.m. on VOCM. And welcome back to the program. Richard Duggan in with you this afternoon. And the MHA for Cornerbrook says an intensive lobbying effort is underway following a gut punch to the West Coast fish harvesters and plant workers who are relying on a substantial allocation of the newly reopened redfish quota. Instead, most of the quota is going to the offshore fleet in Nova Scotia. Jerry Byrne is among those who have been vocal about the federal government decision. He spoke on VOCM Open Line with Linda Swain this morning. Uh, you know, this is a, this is an issue that's an absolute preoccupation priority of the provincial government of Newfoundland and Labrador because I'll put it to you this way, Linda. If I were to go into the west coast, northern peninsula, southwest coast area of Newfoundland and Labrador and, and southern Labrador and say to people, I am here to announce a particular initiative which will create 600 plus jobs, generate $200 million a year for the local economy and will be sustainable for decades to come. I don't think that would be poorly received at all. Well, that's what the Redfish file, the Redfish decision, the Redfish resource means to the west coast of Newfoundland, to the northern peninsula, to the southwest coast, and to southern Labrador. It is our future. And, you know, I can't put it any plainer and simpler than that. You know, it's tough enough. When you lose one, um, you lose it. If you if you don't have the basis to win an argument and you lose the argument, you take it on the chin and you look for another day. But when you win one, but you still lose it, it's really tough to take. And that's what redfish means to me, is that this is a situation where we are totally, totally in the competitive advantaged position. We have the boats, we have the people, we have the plants, we have conservation policy and principles on our side, we have historic access on our side, we have indigenous reconciliation principles on our side. We should be winning this one. This is the one we win, but yet once again, Ottawa tells us, uh, you can't win one, you're going to lose it. So that's, you're just going to have to take it. I do not accept that, Linda. I do not accept that. So yesterday we heard from Eddie Joyce, who said, you know, where's the premier on this? Because he... Front and center. I'm going to stop you. Okay. I'm going to stop you, you know, not you, but I'm going to stop anyone who wants to make this about a political, a domestic dispute, because this is what trips us up every time. Someone will try to take a united position of Newfoundland and Labrador, as you heard from Jason Spiegel, as you heard from the, the, the harvesters who've come on open line, as you've heard from everybody, we have a united position on this one, and that is our strength. Someone will always want to come along and try to create a domestic issue divide us domestically within the province, divide that coalition, divide that initiative so that uh, because our success becomes what they perceive to be their failure, that's not going to happen in this case. The premier is all over this. There were three provincial cabinet ministers that attended a demonstration, a information session in Cornerbrook a few weeks ago I was one of them. The Minister of Fisheries and Aquaculture was one of them. Uh, the Minister for the Northern Peninsula, Krista Howell, was one of them. There was one person who was not there. 
the member for Humber Bay of Islands. So listen, join the team, get with this, be united. Let's win this and put forward a, a common front to Ottawa as the FFAW, as harvesters, as those in the processing industry are prepared to do. We can do this if we stay united. Don't divide. The Premier is 100% on, this, on, on, on the importance of this issue and fighting for Newfoundland and Labrador on this issue. Don't try to divide. So what kind of representation is being made then? I mean, what, what can we expect? Well, we are front and center dealing with our federal cabinet ministers. We, you know, we, we, we said, we said out loud, all of us said, gee, Newfoundland and Labrador, first time in a very, very long time, two federal cabinet ministers from this province appointed to uh, the, the Trudeau administration's cabinet. They're our linchpin to this. The MPs are our linchpin to all of this. Dealing directly with the Federal Department of Fisheries and Oceans is a linchpin in all of this. Getting to the word out to uh, not-for-profit, uh, to environmental governmental organizations is a linchpin to all of this. Why? Because we're supposed to have learned something, all of us collectively, we're supposed to have learned something from the collapse of the groundfish resource, the largest, most uh, historic, most significant protein source on the planet, some will argue. We lost it when Northern Cod closed and the groundfish resource closed. That was 30 years ago. What have we learned? Have we learned anything? Are we prepared to make it any better? Well, the answer is very telling. And this is why redfish is so important. In, a, in addition to the economic impact of redfish, why this is so important is because it demonstrates to us that Ottawa, the Department of Fisheries and Oceans, is morally and intellectually bankrupt. They are prescribing a brand new resort, you know, a, a allocation of a resource. Uh, when boats and people and plants already exist to be able to prosecute this fishery and to do so in a conservation-minded, a conservation-first priority, what are they suggesting? What are they t saying? What have they actually decided? No, 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 no. Let's not use the existing capacity. Let's create more capacity, and let's see, apply taxpayers' money to generate more capacity in places as far away from the resources as you could possibly imagine, as far away as the Bay of Fundy off of it, on, the, on the southern slopes of Nova Scotia. Uh, let's actually build more capacity, and with that comes what we learned and should have understood, the irresistible, insatiable appetite that comes when you overcapitalize a fishery. You create an insatiable appetite for more and more and more fish. That's what happened when offshore draggers entered the northern cod fishery. It just became insatiable. You had to feed the economics of that fleet, not the needs of the resource. That's where this is so, so serious. And watch what happens to the resource. hundred percent. When there are people in the Bay of Islands, fishers, indigenous fishers, who have been, you know, depending on this resource, the groundfish resources from the what I call the pond of the Gulf of St. Lawrence. Uh, Rengedge called it the river. I call it the pond of the Gulf of St. Lawrence. 
where now factory freezer trawlers will be allowed to re-enter when 6411-foot boats, inshore boats, uh, will be tied up. Some of them will be looking for, through no fault of their own, through economic necessity, they'll be looking for government to, uh, to, to provide them some sort of dignified way out of the fishery. While, at the same time, while taxpayers will be asked to grant fishers uh, a dignified exit to the fishery, offshore companies will be plying offshore factory freezer trawlers in the Gulf of St. Lawrence. It just, I, I, I pause and I just got to take a deep breath and say, what the heck is going on? There you go. That's uh, MHA for Cornerbrook. Jerry Byrne on VOCM Open Line with guest host Linda Swain this morning talking about what he calls a gut punch to West Coast fish harvesters and plant workers uh, who are relying on the redfish quota. Instead, most of that quota now going to the offshore fleet in Nova Scotia. And uh, Jerry Byrne saying that uh, they'll be lobbying the the federal government for some changes uh, to that. All right, we got a couple minutes left here now on News Talk. Uh, before we go, I want to draw your attention to today's VOCM question of the day. Um, and uh, today we're asking, Ottawa has introduced a new online harms bill. Do you think it will help to protect children and address online hatred? And uh, so far, 69% of you saying no, you don't think that that will be the case. Uh, 31% saying yes. Uh, and if you have an opinion on that, feel free. Uh, head on over VOCM.com and have your say on today's question of the day. And I know stuff like that. I'm a parent. I have a a nine-year-old child at home. And that's the stuff that I think about all the time. Not federal legislation, mind you. uh, But, you know, staying safe online because it's an ever-changing world out there. And it's, uh, you know, we're living in a a world now in which technology is such a big part of every portion of children's lives. So keeping them safe and making sure that they know how to keep themselves safe online uh, is a conversation that we have quite often in in our house and uh, something that I think about quite quite frequently because it's one thing, you know, uh, back in the day when the Internet wasn't as big of an issue um, you know children could escape their bullies or, or what have you when they go home or when they go out to their little hiding place you know wherever that may have been uh, but now in the world of social media and you know things are so much different these days and uh, it's, it's a lot harder uh, for children to, to, to get away from it it's all around them so uh, uh, you know something to think about and something that I'm sure a lot of other parents are thinking about quite often as well um, so yeah, uh, b- before we go uh, as well, just want to mention that uh, it's something that I've noticed over the last couple of weeks. The sun is uh, getting a lot brighter now as I <laughs> I get to leave VOCM Valley at five o'clock. It look it looks as though the uh, the weather is uh, starting to change, and in a couple of weeks' time, we're gonna have sunsets after seven p.m. again, Claudette. I am so stoked for that because sometimes you I mean you used to feel like you're leaving solitary confinement. <laughs> like, honestly, you go out and it's just dark and then it affects mm-hmm. your energy it affects your mood and you only have a few hours with your family before you sleep and then do it all over again the next day so you want, need this extra little bit of sunshine and it's so noticeable too like the first time I drove home from here and and uh, <laughs> the, there is that little bit of sunlight yeah. still setting over the Team Guju Highway I was like ah oh, isn't that this beautiful? is so nice I know you just want to bask in it like a whale <laughs> 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 oh look at the 
time, Richard. There you go. <laughs> it is, and on that note, talk about whales basking in the sun. It is time for us to say goodbye on News Talk for the day. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. Sarah's coming up with the news. We'll talk soon.